RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log Supplemental, number 45. Doug Drexler is caught in the nexus. Welcome to this supplemental edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. And we're in kind of an unconventional place to do the intro for a supplemental edition of Mission Log. Ken, where are we? Uh, We are in Fantasyland, I believe, (laughs) in in Disneyland in Anaheim, California. Uh, Home, of course. Of Disneyland. Uh, you say it's an unconventional place to do a supplemental, but it's kind of an unconventional supplemental as well. It is. Now, we're going to lead you very soon into the VR experience that we had with Doug Drexler. He of the Academy Award-winning Doug Drexler and uh, uh, has worked on Star Trek for nearly 30 years or something. Uh, so we'll hear that in just a moment. But, yeah, I just have to say that when I tell friends and, uh, and people who listen to our show, yeah, Ken and I are going to go have a meeting, and we're having a meeting at Disneyland. They don't believe me. But we're actually recording the intro to a show right here at Disneyland. We're making the most out of our day. Yeah, uh, I think we've been at Disneyland for about six hours now, and we've ridden one ride, unless you count the tram to get here, in which case uh, there are two rides, but I don't think that really counts. So yeah, uh, so we actually got to welcome somebody into Sansar uh, last night, into the Nexus, the Roddenberry Nexus in Sansar, uh, Doug Drexler, as John mentioned earlier, and I will say... It was a moment, and you'll hear me say this at the end, if you stay till the end, which I really hope you will, because it's a fantastic, fantastic talk that happens. Um, what happened in Sansar when we did this was exactly what I had always hoped would happen from the time that we first started talking to Sansar over a year ago, which is you get somebody to come in, talk about stuff, and what's great is instead of it being like a lecture, it is a bunch of people standing around. I mean, we had people there who who knew Doug's work, who loved Doug's work, and who got to talk to Doug in a way that at a convention or just walking down the street or any other place, you might not really get to. It sort of, it it breaks down the walls in a way. Um, You know, and then of course there are no walls there, so they're even more broken. Well, it's funny because as long as we've been doing the show, and as long as you and I and Rod have always said that Mission Log is a conversation, in a way, it's a very one-way street. You and I get to get behind a mic, we get to talk, and then people write to us after the fact, and we get to engage that way. But uh, doing a VR event using Sansar, and really the whole reason we're releasing this as supplemental, because like you said, it, it is the, the dream come true, that we can put people in a virtual environment, that interaction is live. The conversation is actually happening there and then. And I really want to encourage people who haven't signed up, keep in mind that you can go to sansar.com, create the free account, and access it on your desktop. So even if you don't have the VR equipment, it doesn't matter. I really hope that this kicks off what will become many, many more events like this, where we can welcome somebody in and just have a chat, just have a conversation. Let me say one other thing really quickly. We get nothing for saying, go sign up for this thing at Sansar, except we get the chance to talk to you. We get the chance to stand around, talk to you in this virtual environment. You get to handle all these props. 
you know, it's not just our thing that happens there. Uh, when Doug and I were talking right before the talk, we were talking at the Apollo 11 landing site on the moon. I mean, you get to go and see all of these things, including the stuff that we put in there, the stuff that other people have built there as well. You get a chance to build your own stuff if you want to. What we get out of this is a chance to hang out with you. So, yeah, uh, give it a try. And the next time we have a trivia night or the next time we have somebody like Doug, Doug's actually already promised to come back again. But the next time we have something like this, um, you get to come and join us and, and we get to welcome you. I don't think we're going to be able to keep Doug away. I'm okay with that. I'm fine. But if you listen to this show, you, you can absolutely sense his energy and his enthusiasm for it. I got nothing else to add except podcast.roddenberry.com and sansar.com. And we really hope to see you there. Hey, there's a lot of people here already. Come here, Doug. Wow. Hey, Doug. hey. hey Surprise. Everyone, Doug's here. Swarm him. Here. <laughs> well, I didn't think anybody would want to come and see me. But anyway, it's nice to meet everybody. I'm really impressed that you would even make the time to come here to see. Did you know I was going to be here? No. <laughs> I can't understand why you'd be here. It's a coincidence. <laughs> Total fluke. <laughs> really quickly, I mean, I think everybody here knows why why we're here uh, with Doug, but just really quickly for people who don't, uh, world-renowned makeup artist, won an Academy Award for his work on Dick Tracy, um, but has been in, involved with Star Trek longer than that. Um, if you've seen anything basically from Star Trek four all the way through Enterprise, uh, you've seen some of Doug Drexler's work. We're really happy to be able to have him come here. I mean, his knowledge of Star Trek stuff goes beyond the stuff that he's worked on. So this is not really going to be Doug sort of lecturing everybody. This is we get to hang out with Doug for like an hour, walk around. Where is he? I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) You'll do until he gets here, though, and I'm really excited about that. Ladies and gentlemen, the best Doug Drexler impersonator ever. Wait, wait, wait. How do we know it's really him? Seriously. The voice is pretty close. The hand motions are pretty close. Yeah, that's right. Use your hands, Doug. I do believe it is me. I, I, I was on the show for like 17 years. And I was a scenic artist with Mike Okuda, designing graphics. And I was in the makeup department with Mike Westmore, doing makeups. And I ended up as uh, an illustrator on the show. And I ended up in visual effects. I was at Foundation Imaging on Voyager. uh, And just about anything. (laughs) You know, a lot of people, they get into the business and they they say, I got to stand up. Wow, now I'm up here. a lot of people get into the business and say, if you're a makeup artist, you will be a makeup artist for 40 years. That's what you do. You're like, oh, I made it. I, I have a career. But once I got into the business, and especially when you're on a show like Star Trek, to move sideways isn't that difficult because you get to know all the other department heads. And after doing makeup for three years, I got to know Mike Okuda really well, ended up sliding over into the art department, which... Uh, as a makeup artist I used to literally live on the Enterprise D because you're always with the actors uh, and, and so you're with cool. the actors day and night and so I would spend a lot of time on those sets and they are the, were the most gorgeous sets and I was so impressed and I, and I was always a sketcher and a designer I so wanted to be in the art department and thanks to Mike Okuda uh, when Deep Space Nine happened, he talked Herman Zimmerman <laughs> into hiring the makeup guy. Uh, and uh, 
and that was just the uh, beginning of a whole different adventure for me on Star Trek. And you know, there's there's something exciting about starting from scratch again. But as long as you're working on Star Trek, <clears throat> you feel like you're home. Doesn't matter what department you're in. So I had a fantastic time. I ended up. I, I was on Next Generation. I was on Deep Space Nine. I worked on Voyager. I was on Enterprise as well. Um, I was at Foundation Imaging when they were first starting to plan Enterprise. Uh, John Eaves and Herman Zimmerman did about 30 different designs for the NX, and they just could not get an approval. And they got to the point where it was time to move on. Uh, they had to move on and start designing the sets. So Michael Kuda, who knew I was at Foundation Imaging, and learning all the CG stuff, said, why don't you bring Doug back and you guys can design the Enterprise in, in CG, which had never been done before. I mean, up until then, everything in the art department was done with a pencil or, uh, I mean, there, there really were like no computers yet. Uh, so at this point, me having CG skills was an entirely new and different thing and Mike convinced Herman to bring me back on Enterprise and we literally built models in the art department where we could turn them and look at them and change the light and it was something that you just never could do with a pencil and markers before um, so actually it was funny I was working at Foundation Imaging and uh, Herman asked if I could come onto the show uh, from Voyager and I said well I have to give them at least two weeks notice I can't just leave and Herman said that's okay I'll be at your house at night <laughs> so I would come home and Herman Zimmerman like a lost little waif would be sitting on the front porch waiting for me I had, I worked a whole day already and then I get home and Herman's sitting there waiting <laughs> so I would start my second shift but to me, can you tell me really quickly? So you go from makeup to what? You said you went to illustration, but then you you skipped a part there because you said so an enterprise, me having CG skills, and and yes, you sort I, of glossed over that. But when did I, when did you pick up? That's why you, you're here, Ken. Thank you. Me. No. <laughs> uh, Hopefully not to answer that question because I don't know. <laughs> I I was in the makeup department for three years, and when Deep Space Nine happened, I I really wanted to go to the art department uh, and Mike actually offered me I, I would be like his right hand guy doing makeup on Deep Space Nine but I really really wanted to go to the art department of course Mike Westmore is a great guy and he understood and uh, I went into the Deep Space Nine art department working for Mike Okuda which I was there for seven years uh, doing graphics and doing graphics on start look you could be a scenic artist on Cheers you know or the Big Bang Theory or something and I mean, or Seinfeld, and what are you going to be doing? Uh, graphics of menus and storefronts and stuff like that. To do graphics on Star Trek, oh my God, that's like dying and go to heaven. You know, first of all, Mike Okuda did an incredible job designing the L cars interfaces on the Enterprise D. They're, they're, they're no nonsense, but they're very stylish and beautiful to look at. And, and the interesting thing is that, see, I'm going off the deep end here now. Cool. The thing about what Mike has done is that there have been lots and lots of graphic design for readouts and computers. I mean, all, you know, 2001 and, and right up to current stuff. Uh, but nothing has stuck in people's minds like the L-Cars interfaces that Mike designed for the Enterprise D. You'll see them on people's telephones. You'll see them on screensavers, on people's computers. 
Yeah. I've got it on my uh, on my Apple Watch. Uh, one of the guys, yeah. a friend of mine who works for NASA, actually made one just for his Apple Watch. And he shared it with a couple of No kidding. Well, yeah. I mean, I visited... I was at JPL last year, and you wouldn't believe all the LCARS interfaces that are on the consoles at JPL. <laughs> so I'm a huge Mike Okuda fan. I think the guy is a genius. And to get to work with Mike for seven years and lay out tons and tons of graphics, all the Cardassian graphics, and uh, uh, as I, uh, uh, when we finally got to Defiant, I was a, I laid out all the graphics on that bridge. I mean, when Mike wow. told me that he wanted me to do that, that was... That, that was like the biggest thrill. I had that wow. whole bridge to myself. So I was in the uh, Deep Space Nine art department for seven years. At about the sixth year, um, Voyager was, was was happening, but they were completely crewed up. Uh, and so I was kind of looking at where I might go from there. And I used to go into Mike's office because we're good pals and chat about the show and, you know, designs and stuff like that. There used to be this box next to the couch. It was for a program called Lightwave, which was the program they were using on Star Trek to do CG modeling. And I used to pick that box up and look at it. And there were all these cool pictures of giant robots and spaceships and stuff like that. And I would say, wow, this is really fantastic. And I really wanted to take it home, you know. Uh, and after it sat there for weeks and weeks. I finally said to Mike, say, uh, Mike, do you think that you're ever... And he goes, nah, I, I really don't want to climb the learning curve. Oh, well, would you mind if I... And he would say, no, take it, go get it. And so I took that box home, opened it up, and started using it in the art department, and it was like a whole nother world. In the same way that... Well, I mean, look at us here. This is the first toddling steps into the holodeck, you know? It, it's the, it's mm. it, it, CG at that moment was like nothing we'd ever seen before. We, we certainly didn't have it in the art department. We were just beginning to use it in the visual effects department. I knew this, so I started learning it uh, in the last season at Deep Space Nine. Now, of course, when you work in the art department, especially in those days, you got to know everybody in the visual effects department. Dan Curry, Gary Hutzel, uh, Mitch Suskin. Uh, they, they, got, they were your pals because... <laughs> Um, back then, they were using physical models. They were all physical models. And if Gary ran out of money and he needed a Klingon space station, he knew he could come to the art department. And we had junk. We had a, a, a room full of junk in the back that we collected. We could put one together in an afternoon for him. So because these were my friends, I thought there was a good chance I could slide sideways into visual effects. Uh, and sure enough... One day, I'm playing with the program in the, in the art department, and I feel his presence behind me. And I look, and Gary Hutzel's standing there. He's, like, rubbing his chin. Am I rubbing my chin? No, you're, you're close to rubbing your he's chin. Rubbing his chin. <laughs> he's rubbing his chin, and he's going, huh. And I literally could see the light go off over his head because really running amok here with the stories. Tell me if I'm going too far off of base again. <laughs> no, you don't. I, no, I'm, no, I'm, this I'm, is I'm, delightful. Frolicking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. So, soaking in. Gary sees me using Lightwave. Now, I had been chatting with Gary for months as CG was starting to come in to uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager. And here was a guy who had been shooting physical models for years down on the Image G stage, which is in Studio City. And he would he was the guy who went and got the model. He was the guy who put the model on the stand and made sure all the lights worked. He was the guy who set up all the motion control and set up the shots. And now all of a sudden with CG, the landscape was changing. 
Now he was becoming more of a spectator where he would go to the visual effects house and explain what kind of shot they want and then come back in a few days and hopefully they understood what you were asking for and you would get it. And nine times out of 10, he would end up disappointed. They either wouldn't understand what he wanted or they thought they had a better idea and gave him something he didn't ask for. So you can imagine when he came in and he saw me doing CG and he knows we get along great and we understand each other perfectly. A couple of days later, he comes in and says, say, uh, Doug, uh, you think a guy like you can make a CG model for a guy like me? <laughs> and I'm like, mm-hmm. hell yes. And uh, Mike Okuda loaned me out to Gary, and I hung out at Image G for a couple of days with Lightwave, and we built a ship for the show. Nice. And really had a ball. I mean, it was so much fun. It's like magic. It, uh, CG, it really is like magic. Just like being here all together, this is like magic. Do you? Um, so, uh, yes, forgive me for asking. Well, I mean, do you have a do you have a preference? Like, if you're if you're going to work on something, I mean, because now I'd imagine almost everything is CG. But if you had your druthers, would you rather would you rather you know get out a few exacto knives and get your hands dirty, or would you rather sit behind a computer? Well, honestly, I mean, I love building models and stuff, but CG is so versatile. Um, there are a lot of things to consider when you're building models. Uh, there's chemical exposure. Uh, if you're doing a lot of large-scale model building and you're making molds and you're casting uh, fiberglass and stuff like that and you don't have proper ventilation, you could make yourself sick. And I know guys who ended up sick because they didn't take proper precautions. They didn't wear respirators and stuff like that. So I don't miss that part of it. Um, if you're d- using physical models, I mean, I have a videotape at home that Gary gave me where he got the old Reliant model out from Wrath of Khan. And mm. we were going to use it in, it probably was the pilot of Deep Space Nine for the Saratoga, is what I'm thinking. And um, he turned the model on and none of the lights in the ship would come on. So now it was, Gary had to take his time out of his day to crack that model open and find out where the short was to get it to work. Now he's lost a whole day out of his schedule. Models break. They get dirty. They get lost. The thing about a CG model is that it never wears out. It never gets dirty. The lights never burn out. And you can make adjustments shot by shot as far as how the appearance of the ship looks. So CG is just so much more versatile. And really, the sky is the limit. So making models is great, but... To make a model of a ship, you might need a crew of like five people working, you know, three days straight all night long to get something ready. Whereas I could take one guy uh, and set if that if it's if that person is a good modeler and they could cobble something together in a couple of days all by themselves. Uh, and and like for instance, when we were designing the NX in the art department, like I was talking about before, I could make that model do test renders of it going by the camera and then put those animations on it of course then it was a VHS tape give a VHS tape to Herman Zimmerman and he could go over and show Rick Berman the model flying through space and we could change the lighting we could change the angle or it could come back to the art department and you know Herman could say well Rick would like the nacelles to be a little shorter or I could take that model and I could stretch it and expand it and change the color and have a revision back the same day 
for them to look at. You can't do that with, with a physical model. It's not possible. So I ended up doing some stuff for Gary, uh, made a model for him. And as I was leaving to go back to the art department, I said, uh, wow, Gary, that was really fun. I hope we get a chance to do that again. And I remember Gary stopped and looked at me and he said, be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Because eventually what happened was that after Enterprise was canceled, Gary was the CG supervisor on Battlestar Galactica. And as soon as Enterprise was canceled, he had me on the phone the same day and asked me to come to BSG. And I mean, which was, I mean, there's another incredible science fiction show. So, yeah. uh, you know, Gary, <laughs> Gary, basically, he said, I'm going to drag your dead, bleeding body behind me all the way through this show. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so when DS9 ended, I ended up jumping over to Foundation Imaging, which was about a half an hour north of Paramount. It was one of the first uh, CG facilities and it was run by a guy named Ron Thornton who made a name for himself doing CG on television for Babylon 5, which is probably one of the first times we ever saw CG on that scale being done for a TV show. Now, you look at it today and it looks kind of gamey, but it was the very beginning. And I, I knew Ron. I went up there and Ron hired me right away. And I went directly on the last day of Deep Space Nine. I went up to Foundation Imaging ended up working with Rob Bonchoon and, and Mojo uh, on Voyager. Can I ask you a question? <clears throat> yes. You, you say you just took this program home. This was in the days of Sun Computers, surely. A huge, expensive chunk of Sun Computers. No, so. no. See, that was the thing about Lightwave. <clears throat> it was one of the first programs. Of course, that program has kind of been outstripped a little bit by a lot of the programs like Maya. But it still is a terrific program. But one of the wonderful things about it was that it would run on a computer with, it didn't need to be a monstrous computer. You needed a, mm. you know, a decent amount of RAM, but not like what you would expect. You could, you could uh, use your desktop computer to do it. And as a matter of fact, when we did effects for Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica, it was really all off the shelf stuff. Mm. Which is, and, and that's what made it affordable, basically. Yeah. Uh, because on TV, it's not like the, the movies where you have huge, huge amounts of money. Uh, I mean, look at movies today. If you go to see one of the latest Marvel extravaganzas and see how long those credits of visual effects artists <laughs> go by the screen. I mean, it's unbelievable. There must be thousands of names there. When we did Star Trek or Battlestar Galactica, there might be 10 names. That's it. Those, that's about all the people we would have to do those shows. And still, we were able to do stuff that was pretty much motion picture quality but what it really amounts to is who is doing the work and if you have passionate people who love it then you you could take modest stuff and turn out really amazing work so I went to Foundation Imaging where uh, I worked on uh, Voyager but I also worked on a show called uh, The Roughnecks Chronicles which was like um, uh, um the Starship Troopers one? Yes, it was a Starship Troopers uh, CGI on show. Yeah. And that Whoa, was wait, there was a show of Starship Troopers? Yes, but it was quite a while ago. I mean, it was like we're talking like late 19 90s. yeah, late 90s. It was like 1998 or so, <sighs> something yeah. like that. And it was really groundbreaking. So, I was learning an awful lot 
And when I went to foundation, I was, I was a neophyte, but I learned pretty quick. And uh, because I was a makeup artist for so long, I got into doing uh, characters and faces and stuff like that in the computer as well. So I was at foundation for two years. And then when enterprise came around, Herman asked me back, went back to the art department, got, had my old desk back, <laughs> had Mike and Denise there again, which is, you know, they're like family to me. And uh, it was a wonderful experience. So I, I was in the enterprise art department as an illustrator. Uh, and, um, you know, like I said, back, back in 1999 or 2000, art departments were all graphite, pencils, vellum, light boxes. You would do all your drawings for sets on vellum in pencil, and then you would run those through a blueprint machine. As a matter of fact, when I was on Deep Space Nine, I said Rod Roddenberry was our PA. He was our production <laughs> assistant in the art department, and he used to make all our blueprints for us. He was just a kid. But you know, as I was telling these guys, the great thing about that was that I could yell, Roddenberry, get in here! <laughs> and feel like a big shot. <laughs> but uh, but back then, everything was pencils and graphite. But now I, I'm coming back to the art department. I'm bringing the CG program with me. And it was really, we may have been the first television art department that was using CG to do set design uh, and ship design. I don't, you know, I mean, it happened in the movies, but almost certainly we were the first ones to do it for, for TV. So I was, I was in that art department as a, uh, as an illustrator. Any questions? I was going to, let me ask really quickly. And I want to ask everybody in the room as well. Um, originally we had thought, well, it'll be Doug and he'll walk around and he'll point out some neat things in the Nexus. I mean, we can go in and look at some of the artifacts if you want to, or if, if we just want to stand here and ask questions. I mean, this is a, it's up to you honestly, guys. it's been a fantastic time already. I could so. blather all day about this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love listening to this. It's I'm in my DNA. To RL, you see, so it's really fascinating to hear. Yeah, I think it's great. Excellent. All right, All right, well, all right well, then I know Elliot had a question about uh, Starship Troopers because he's been threatening for the past couple of days to ask that. I have a question for you, really quickly, though. <laughs> so you came on to DS9 in the art department, but when I watch DS9, um, occasionally I'll see a makeup that I'm like, that could be Doug. Did you do any makeup for DS9? I didn't do did any makeup for DS9. All the really? makeup that I did was on Next Generation. Okay. I, did you I, have the Klingons? Oh, well, I, when I was on Next Generation, I did Klingons. I did Romulans. I mean, you name it. Um, and I had, you know, being a makeup artist is a whole nother thing again from being in the art department. Um, you spend more time with the cast than anybody and you're kind of like, you know, you become their mommy, you know. Are you, are you feeling okay? Would you like me to rub your shoulders for you? Oh, your nose is running here. Let me wipe your nose for you. You know, they, they usually what happens is that in the beginning, if you're doing prosthetics on an actor, they hate you. They don't want you near them. They don't want cold alcohol swashed on them at three in the morning and then sticky glue and appliances stuck to them and it's going to be on them for 12 hours and so in the very beginning they literally they see you and they want to run away they don't so how many of you guys have heard of something called stockholm syndrome you know what stockholm syndrome is oh my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it is so you're the, you're holding them captive 
but you're also taking care of them and you want to know if they need something to drink or if they feel okay and pretty soon they fall in love with you Mm. so it becomes a you become family with people that you have to do makeup on that is a different kind of friendship than just being friends you're almost you're almost like family um so i spent a lot of time in the makeup trailer and on set i mean huge numbers of hours on stage uh and you would become a crew member you felt like a crew member. i mean i used to sleep in sick bay on a bio bed over lunch <laughs> i got in trouble for it too <laughs> <laughs> so you spent a lot of time with michael Dorn. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, you know, Dorn is one of the fun... That, that was the thing about that cast. They were one of the funnest cast I've ever worked with. And I mean, I've been in the business now about 37 years. In all that time, Next Generation was more fun than any cast I'd ever worked with. They were a, like a bunch of rotten kids. I mean, they were playing pranks on each other constantly, always getting into trouble. Michael Dorn, when I walked on stage... When he found out my name was Drexler, he thought that was a great Klingon name. And he would roll it over, roll it over, Drexler, 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 Drexler. And every time he would see me, he literally would yell, Drexler, Drexler, Drexler. And he would do that on stage. I'd come on stage and he'd be all the way across the stage dressed as, as Worf and be yelling, Drexler, Drexler. Now, one day... I'm walking between the stages, and I had a, uh, a crew jacket on, and it said Drex, D-R-E-X, on my jacket. And I ran into Ira Bear, who was a producer on Deep Space Nine and a writer. And we're chatting, and he looks at my jacket, and he says, Drex. And I said, yeah, you know, Dorn thinks that's a great Klingon name. And he goes, huh. And the next day in rewrites, there was a Klingon named Drex. I think it was Drex. Of, I think it was the House of Martok, wasn't he? Worf ends up killing him in an episode. <laughs> but I was like, well, I got my own Klingon Drex. Amazing. Um, but yes. Can I ask you a question about that, uh, Doug? Sure. Um, so this is Elliot uh, speaking over here. Um, Elliot, is that you dancing? Um, it's not me dancing. I'm the. Oh, hang on. Let me do a little right hand. Sorry, wave at me. I'm wave. Oh, wave. Here we go. Sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, I like your outfit. Um, yeah, so I just had a question about, um, evil looking thing. you know, yeah. you said you didn't do makeup, um, in DS9, but you did in TNG. And that's the yeah. thing that always amazed me about makeup work is Worf looks like Worf every single episode from mm. different shows and the Ferengis all look like the Ferengis and, you know, it doesn't matter what episode it is, Quark looks like Quark. Like, how do you be that consistent with something that's like so pliable as like play on someone's face well the, the thing is that the appliances are um, the way it works is that Michael Dorn is going to be Worf we bring him into the makeup lab put him in a chair and we do a cast of his head which only takes about 20 minutes of course if you're claustrophobic it's not so good and I've had people flip out with their head in case and actually get up and try to run. And they can't even see where they are. Anyway, mm. Michael Dorn was never that way. But you bring him in, you do a head cast. Now, Michael can go home, and I've got a copy of his head. Mike Westmore has a copy of his head. And he takes that plaster cast on Michael Dorn's head, and he sculpts the changes that will turn Michael Dorn into Worf. Once he has that sculpt done... And he shows it to, in the beginning, Gene Roddenberry and Rick Berman, and they decide they like it. Then Mike takes those, that, those clay pieces and he makes molds off of them. Mm. 
once you have the molds, you clean the clay out of the mold and then you inject foam <clears throat> latex into those molds. The foam latex, once it's in the mold, gels, it, it becomes spongy but solid. It still has to go in the oven and it's baked for about two and a half to three hours. And once it's baked, you take it out and it's just like the foam rubber you might have in, you know, your couch. Only one side of the foam rubber piece is shaped like Worf's face and the inside is a negative of Michael Dorn's face. So you take these pieces, which are very delicate and pliable, and they will fit perfectly onto Dorn's face. So that part is always the same. Uh, the appliances are all the, the, there's no there's no issue there. They always look exactly the same. The trick is knowing how to glue them on to Dorn's face so they stay all day long, and uh, uh, and then you have to blend them off and paint them so that they blend perfectly into his own skin. Uh, and that's 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 quite the trick. Not you just can't walk in and do something like that. You need someone who has training. Uh, Dorn was probably, you know, Jerry Quist used to do Dorn every morning, and he probably got it down to about not more than an hour, which is really fast for makeup like that. I mean, when we did Flat Top and Dick Tracy, that's a four-hour makeup. That took four hours. Um, I did, I remember Lal, I I called her Data's daughter, but uh, we had Leonard Crowfoot. Uh, When Data makes Lal... Lal originally looks almost like an Academy Award. It's like this gold, featureless android. Yeah. yeah. And so there were appliances that went on Leonard's face that simplified his facial features and on his chest. And we also had appliances to like cover his naughty bits, too, because he had to look... It, he basically looked, like I said, like an Academy Award. So we had to we had to blend in all of the stuff that they never let us show on TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I put that makeup on by myself every day, and honest to God, that was a that really was a a couple of people should have been putting that makeup on. But I would get in at like two o'clock, three, four, and five, and six. That was like a four and a half, five hour makeup to, to put him in that. And once he was in that makeup. There was no coming out of the makeup. I mean, I t- I said, listen, Lenny, once you're in this thing, there's no going to the bathroom. <laughs> That's You could forget about that. And he was one of the most zen guys I'd ever worked with. I mean, I worked with all kinds of actors, and some of them are off the wall. But Lenny was just the calmest, most easygoing guy. And he says, no problem. I'll stop eating and drinking the day before. <laughs> Not kidding. <laughs> And he would be in that makeup from, I'd start him at 2 in the morning, and he wouldn't get out till like, 2 a.m. Mm. I, you know, was it? Days, it was two days. Okay. Did you work on Brent's better? Uh, I never put Brent's makeup on, but I was there. Mike, oh, Mike Westmore always did Brent's makeup. Okay. I might be he, there. he had a lot of characters. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the ones I really remember was, uh, and, and that's where I really got to know Gary Hutzel. Uh, it was the episode where they first meet uh, Noonan soon, and um, uh, and you meet Lore, uh, and of course Data plays all three of them, and he has to play the old Noonan song, which was a makeup that Mike Westmore designed and, and applied. But I remember because he played so many characters, what they would do, you know how on the ships they would have motion control, they'd have a camera on an arm that would move around the ship, and uh, it would do maybe four or five passes around the ship 
One pass would be for the windows, just the window lights lit. One pass would be for the warp engine glow. One pass would be for specularity hits on the ship. And then you'd put them all together. If you're going to do a show where one person is playing three people, you could shoot it exactly the same way. You'd bring a camera in on an arm that had a computer attached to it and motors, and that you could do a camera move through the room and shoot it with Brent as data. Then you could take, then you could go back to position A, reset the camera, bring Brent back as Noonien Sung, start the camera. Hit, hit go again and the camera will retrace its path from the last time you shot mm. and now the you've got another pass that has data uh, you, it's got Brent twice then you do it a third time and then you could put those three pieces of film together and everything lines up perfectly in the old days like in the 60s where you know it was uh, two Kirks they would have to divide the screen down the middle and it, you couldn't do any kind of real camera moves but using this process, and it took Gary, I mean, they were there till like 2.30 in the morning doing that stuff. Being on set is hard work. It is freaking really hard work, especially if you're a makeup artist. If you're a makeup artist, you're the first one to get there, and you're the last one to leave. Because you've got to be there before everyone else. To, that The actor is going to need to go to wardrobe and hair, and they want to get started at like 6.30 or 7. If it's a four-hour makeup, you've got to be there that much earlier to do it. Then afterwards, you got to get whoever it is out of their makeup. And that makeup is made to stay. Uh, and so it might take you an hour just to get them out of makeup. And as a matter of fact, speaking of lol, oh, man, I'll never forget this as long as I live. Uh, Mike Westmore gave me this makeup. It was made by a local lab in San Fernando Valley. And he said, at the end of the day, you just take them uh, and you use some of this. And he gave me the, it was like peanut oil. I'd never used peanut oil to take makeup off, but I guess it was inexpensive. He says, and the makeup will just come right off. And now I had been a makeup artist at this point about 12 years. And I know that the prosthetic adhesive that we use to put this makeup on with, I had my doubts about that. And then at the end of the day, after a long, long day, I started taking that makeup off and it was like, and it was not budging. And I'm like thinking, man, I am in trouble here. And I... I it was I mean it was two thirty in the morning. I I literally called uh, the studio and had them open the studio gym where there was a shower where I could take Lenny into the shower with steamy hot water and a sofa and scrub him. It, I mean it still took like an hour. Of course it was one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had because it's the first time I ever took a shower with another man. It was the only time. <laughs> But it was it was like scrubbing down like a you know it was like being in the circus scrubbing a circus elephant or something. Can I ask another question about the <laughs> makeup? Um, yes, it's Marina Sirtis. I saw her, her do a talk, and she said that Michael Dawn had a problem with um, it was making him ill or something. Something that used to the glue, I think it was, to apply to him, and yet he she well, got it changed you know, or something. I, I don't remember anything happening like that with Dorn. I put on hundreds and hundreds of makeups. I've never seen anybody get sick from it. Uh, although someone might have a reaction to glue day after day after day after day, and you might have to give the actor, you might have to arrange the schedule to, uh, to, let, to give the actor's skin a chance to recover. Uh, but honestly, I've worked with uh, actors who said that it's one of the best things that they've ever done for themselves because it's like getting a facial every day. You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. can I ask a question? 
Actually, we talked about how you went from makeup into the art department into CG. We didn't actually talk about how you got into makeup. <laughs> you know, I started in the makeup business. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of a guy named Dick Smith. Dick Smith, in my opinion, is one of the greatest makeup artists who ever lived. Um, and he was... Makeup that he was particularly known for were um, The Exorcist. He did Linda Blair's Possession Makeup in The Exorcist. Um, he did uh, Dustin Hoffman in a film called Little Big Man, which you've probably never seen. But I get... So watch... It. Little Big Man is such a wonderful movie, but in it, he plays a 107-year-old man in the very beginning of the picture. Uh, and it's an incredible makeup. And um, I, I was working... I guess I was about 24 or 5 and I was working in a an architectural supply in Manhattan that they sold art supplies to architects and um, they had a Halloween party one year and I was always articles on special effects I had articles on how Planet of the Apes makeup was done I had articles on how they shot miniatures and back then we didn't have internet yet, so mm-hmm. you couldn't just go on the internet and type in how to do a life cast and get 2,000 mm-hmm. things on YouTube that shows you exactly how to do it. Uh, so I, you would have to collect articles. You really had to hunt. And I had this article on how to do a Planet of the Apes makeup, and I'd never sculpted before, never made a mold before or any of that stuff, and figured I was going to give it a shot. And I did it, and it was, it was like magic. Uh, I had this creature. I, it was like I had created a life. There's this like Dr. Frankenstein moment where it's like, it's alive, it's alive. I, it, it just sweeps you away. And I became totally obsessed with makeup. And I started getting every book I could find, reading everything I could find on it. And um, I found out, uh, I had picked up this book called the Richard Corson Stage Makeup, which is still a master text it's still out there if you're interested in makeup I, I recommend anybody pick it up Richard Corson stage makeup and there was a chapter in there on this guy named Dick Smith and it showed him doing makeups uh, for Little Big Man and The Exorcist and Dustin Hoffman and I was so amazed and I started studying everything I could get on this guy and I used to get pictures out of the books of him in his lab and I had a you know, you couldn't scan something then. We didn't have computers yet. I used to take the pictures, and I had a Bessler projector where I would take a page and put it on a projector and project it on the wall and try to read the labels on the containers on his shelf. <laughs> well, one day, I, a friend of mine named Doug Murray wrote articles for magazines like Cine Fantastique, and he said, you know, um, why don't you come over? I have some appliances from Planet of the Apes. So I went to his house, and I brought pictures of my work. And he said, uh, you know, I just did an interview with Dick Smith. I'm going to give you his telephone number. And I couldn't believe it. And I was terrified to call him. I mean, I think it took me a couple of weeks to build up the courage to call him up. And when I got him on the phone, he kept me talking for like an hour, giving me information, telling me where to get stuff, telling me what kind of materials he had. And we had a, we started a, uh, a correspondence. And... Um, <laughs> This guy just walked over the table. We, st- we started a correspondence. <laughs> back of my phone, too. And there's two of them. Oh, my God. <laughs> time these strangers. <laughs> so, a couple of months later, he said, I'm about to start a movie with David Bowie and Catherine Deneuve. It's called The Hunger. 
it's a kind of a new wave kind of vampire slug. And uh, are you available to come work on it? I was like, I lost my mind. I couldn't believe that Dick Smith was asking me to come to work. His lab was 20 minutes above New York City, so I could go to Grand Station, take a train up there, and, and I was working with the master. And that was my education in makeup because that movie was huge. It had like four or five stages of old age makeup for David Bowie, mm. uh, puppet heads, crumbling mummy suits. It, you know, mm. So that was the start of my career, and it's, it's been going ever that is- since. That is such nice. in at the deep end. Like that, that's that's amazing because that it, it, makeup in that it, movie was incredible. It, it was amazing. I, I cannot believe my luck. I've been really lucky. Were you in illustration awesome. education before all that as well? Uh, you know, I'm mostly self-taught. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I did go to the Art Students League for six months, but that was about it. <laughs> the Art Students League is a is a uh, art school in Manhattan on 57th Street that has been there since like the early 1900s. Norman Rockwell went there and uh, it was really a wonderful school in that there were no grades. There was no diploma. You didn't get anything. You didn't take anything. You didn't, you know, I mean, first of all, in this business, they never ask you what school you went to or I want to see your diploma. No one cares. What they care about is your work. They want to see your work. So, to me, that was the ultimate art school. You didn't get a phony yep. baloney diploma. Yep. You you took away from it whatever you got out of it and how much work you put in. So I did. I I I went there for sketching and drawing for six months. But other than that, it was mostly all self taught. That's wow. awesome, Doug. I have a question related to that. This is Torley the watermelon head. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> Just to identify myself. So, yeah, you've amassed all these tools and techniques over your, your long career. I'm wondering, have mm-hmm. you ever, like, I think it's so cool from Illustrator to Lightwave and the CD-ROM era, but has there ever been a tool where you were interested in it, but then you started learning it where you're like, this is really not for me, it doesn't jive with my style, and you decided not to continue with it? Huh, that's an interesting question. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. Um... You know, not really, not really. I've always had a pretty good idea what I wanted to do and whether I would find it fascinating. Uh, I never started anything and said, "Nah, this isn't for me. I don't want to do it. Uh, I've always been very lucky in that way. (laughs) You know, part of it is uh, actually the formula is so simple. It's to just know what it is that you enjoy. I, I, I know I've met a lot of people who don't know what they like. But they don't know what they want to do, which is hard for me to fathom. But I, even when I was a little kid, I always knew I wanted to be a sketcher or a designer. And uh, uh, and as long as you stick with with your passions, you're you're not going to go wrong. I think the only time, I mean, look, if I had been given a job in a garage tearing down engines for cars that 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 probably would have happened there i go oh man i'm not for this you know (laughs) because it just is goes beyond the way my mind works you know um i I, being a mechanic i'd I'd hurt myself you know (laughs) the competition today is so fierce you have to be like really hot on everything to get into well, it is. It definitely is harder now. There's a, uh, for one thing, it's harder to distinguish yourself as a visual effects 
artist because, like I said, if you watch like one of the latest Marvel movies, extravaganzas, and look at all those freaking names that are on one movie that goes for minutes and minutes and minutes, you can't even read it. It's just so tiny. When we were doing CD, we were kind of on the frontier and breaking ground, and there were small groups of us, and it was more like a little club of people along with each other. Now it's become, you know, like for instance, when we did Battlestar Galactica, um, the visual effects department was just like, you know, maybe like five CG guys, and we had some compers, and we all just knew each other. It was a little club. We all hung out together. Now it's like most of the work goes to uh, uh, facilities. You know, there's like Zoic or Examondo, uh, where they have, you know, 150 people. Um, and so it, it's... So, and plus there's, there's so many schools uh, where people don't even learn CG. There's so many people learning how to do it. I think it's harder to set yourself apart than it used to be. I think in that way, although I couldn't get the information as easy as people can today, it was easier, I think, to break in. Yeah. Uh, and the same, I mean, you ever see Face Off, TV show Face Off? You know, the makeup yeah. show? Mm-hmm. Yes. I was a judge on one of those, one of those episodes. Uh, and it's Mike Westmore's daughter is the host of the show. Um, makeup has been kind of devastated by CG. Mm. Uh, a, a lot of stuff that you used to do, uh, like creatures, monsters, uh, even old age or youthening people can be done in the computer much easier than actually doing it on stage. And I see people on Face Off every week who want to be a makeup artist. And hundreds and hundreds of them. And where are they? Where are they going to get the job? Where? Where? I mean, there aren't that many theater jobs. Theater. Well, theater, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> that, and there's plenty of theater. And I always tell people, if you want to get started, do local theater. Volunteer to do makeup at local theater. If you really love it, you're going to do it no matter yeah, what. You're going to do it no matter where. You're going to do it no matter what. Even if you have been told by a knucklehead like me that thousands of people are trying to be a makeup artist, that's not going to make any difference. And it shouldn't make any difference. If you're really excited about it and you're passionate about it and you're obsessed by it like I was, you're going to do it anyway. And you know what? That's what you should do. Buck the odds. Take a chance. Because you never know. I mean, look. Amen. When, yeah. When I was getting into it, my father, he was like a Depression era kid, you know, and he was in World War II. And, you know, going to Hollywood and doing, working on TV, and nobody does that. He thought I was out of my mind. You know, he told me to get my feet back on the ground and my head out of the clouds. And he wasn't wrong to say that. But the world that he came from was that it was a, it was a more difficult world it was a harder world so i understand what he was saying he was wrong <laughs> you know the thing is even when you're a kid you still you have to respect your parents but you got to have your own mind to know what it is that you like to do and stick to it no matter what yeah that's beautiful that's so what do you scary. make of this 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 yeah. this this world would you like to create something in uh, in, v- in vr funny you should mention that <laughs> i've gotten into vr quite heavily cool. uh and you have uh, to see an experience made by you oh <laughs> you know uh, let me tell you uh, i i wish that i had it here i could show you guys uh i've done uh four or five different things that they're not just uh, uh they're not games uh, and they're not walk around experiences what i've been striving to do is have a vr environment 
that tells a story that's cinematic and that mm-hmm. it actually cuts from one scene to the next. So it's as if you're watching your favorite TV show, but you can move around it while it's happening. And one of the things that I guarantee you is going to happen is that uh, eventually they are going to take time out of a shooting schedule and reshoot scenes using a 360 camera so that if you buy the DVD or Blu-ray or um, uh, you're streaming it, you could download a VR part of it where you could be in in the scene where you're in the set and you could move around and be in different positions while the actors are going through their scene. And there's absolutely no doubt that within a couple of years, there's going to be additional content to movies where you're in the scene. Uh, mm. But yes, I've been getting into it, and I've been having an amazing time with it. It's so See, incredible. I would love to hear more about that project. Because oh. I've been toying with one on history of costumes, but not so where it's just a museum where you walk around, but where it's more interaction and telling a story. Well, you see, that's just it. Um, You can, well, if you're doing a thing on costume, you can have costumes, but you could also have um, screens that open up and unfold in front of you and and show a little movie of mm. a scene from a film and uh, awesome. it, 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 I don't want to take your time out of your talk though oh, no, yeah please, awesome I would have, love to yeah no, but someday I'd love to talk to you about all that cool. oh well you, listen I'm, I'm on you know uh, Facebook you could always send me a message on Facebook at, at my name uh, and uh, I'm always happy to talk about that, that kind of stuff awesome. so exciting oh, to thank me you. you know okay yeah pick up Pick up, uh, you know, a program like Unity or Unreal Engine. Those are two um, VR programs. I'm learning Unity. I do Sansar, and then I do Maya and ZBrush and all that crap. Oh, well, you're all set. You're all set. <laughs> you, yeah, you can start doing it. I'm right soulless, away. but I go by Deborah Salsa, so that's who will get a hold of you. Okay. Well, I'll keep an eye open. Thank you. Yeah. Do you think you might build an experience in here, in Sansar? Uh, well, you know, I, I tell you, I'd, I'd love to help these guys out with their museum here. Um, <laughs> you know, I uh, Star Trek is such an important part of my life. It's in my DNA. Uh, I'm very detail-oriented, and, and I'm, a, I'm a continuity freak, you know. Uh, and I've done so many different aspects of Star Trek, like the interfaces and stuff. I can really give them a hand with that. I'd love to give them a hand with their original series, which said. Um, have you been on it? Yep. Uh, it, it's just, when I go on it, it's not the Enterprise. It's another ship. Because there's there's a lot of little differences on that bridge. So I tell yeah. myself, okay, well, this is the Congo. This is the USS Congo. So it's all a little different. It's <laughs> built at a different time, you know. But when we did Trials and Tribulations, which was a high watermark and a thrill because we got to recreate those sets. And it that was is the best episode. I'm uh, telling the, you, the effects in that episode blow my mind. We mm. had such an amazing, and I couldn't, I could not believe it when Michael Kuda came to me and said, "We're building, we're going back to the original series, and we're going to make." You know, the thing is that for us, we wanted the ship to be absolutely the way it was. 
and we didn't change the damn thing on it. When we did the sets, we made the sets as close as we could possibly make them. There was no revising them or, you know. Uh, it, to, for us, it was history, and we wanted to be able to go back to that and have everybody watch and go, oh, my God, this isn't kind of like it. This is it. Uh, now, we didn't use CG on that one. Those were physical models. Great gene built a four and a half foot enterprise. We had a really big wow. model. Yeah, we had a big model with the K7. And as a matter of fact, remember, Gary was had the enterprise on a stand, and um, he called us up and he says, "The model's beautiful." He goes, "But it's it needs more weathering." And so Okuda and I went down to Image G, and there's pictures of us standing on ladders, drawing with a pencil on the surface of the ship to add weathering and lines and stuff like that. And, and I remember that while we were doing it, Gary was plotting out his camera moves. He had, he had uh, you know, one of the, they used to call it a Dijkstra Flex, uh, which I think the first time was really used was on Star Wars, where the camera would move around the ship and could repeat that move, like, as many times as you needed it to, because, we, like, as I was saying before, we used to uh, shoot the ships in different passes. You wouldn't just do, on the original series, you just did one pass of the camera on a track that went by the Enterprise. When we did Next Generation in Deep Space Nine, they had the uh, computerized camera that could retrace its path. So, as I had said before, you would have the camera go around the Enterprise, and only the lights, all only the windows, would be lit. And that would be one pass. Then the camera would repeat the move, and then it would be the engines. And so, then you could take all those layers, put them together, and be able to sweeten them. You know, you say, well, I, I want the engine glow to be wider, or I, I want the spec hits to be brighter, and know where i was going with that but <laughs> what was i what was the original question i don't even remember well so i just so wanted to call out open. uh uh Doug, we have about uh, two minutes left uh until uh 8 p.m pacific time uh, see man i can talk oh, all night no. long it's crazy oh, dude, i can man. talk all night can't we go overtime <laughs> yeah. well, we'll do it again sometime too that was good. Good. Okay. Know, yes fantastic I know we didn't ask you beforehand, but yeah, I mean, because we didn't even talk about uh, Star Trek, funny enough. <laughs> we talked about, like, I mean, you all worked there, but I mean, it's, I mean, and we didn't even get into the museum. So we I mean, it'd be fantastic if you could, if you could come back. Uh, I would love to, because there's nothing that I enjoy more than what we're doing right now, honestly. Yeah. Did you, I mean, so you said there were a couple minutes left. Was there one more question or are we, are we saying goodnight? Was that Elliot? Um, yeah, I mean, I just wanted whatever you guys uh, want to do with uh, with time. I don't know if you guys want to wrap up and leave it there. Um, you know, it's like one minute to eight now, so maybe now is a good time to wrap up, wrap up, and people can chat until until people log out. However, how you guys want to do it, but you know, thanks so much. Um, well, you, I guess the last thing I would say, I mean, you were really yeah. kind to, to mention your contact info. Can you do it again for anybody who wants to get in touch? Well, sure. I mean, I'm on Facebook at my name, Doug Drexler. Um, if you could remember this, my email is my name, Doug Drexler <laughs> at rocketmail.com. But Facebook's probably easiest to remember. And, you know, you can just message me if you have questions or anything at all. You know. Also, if you've never been to my Facebook page, I have albums and albums. Go in the album section. I mean, I've got pictures from my years working on Star Trek in there that I'm sure that you would love to see. Love to see. <laughs> it sounds fun because I do miss your old website. Yeah, <laughs> you know, gee, and I had a blast, and 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 
a lot of the stuff that I did on the Drex files is in my albums. Not all of it, but a lot of it is. And uh, and at a certain point, I am going to go back and do a dedicated website again. Um, but uh, definitely uh, visit the album section on the Facebook page. You'll, you'll, there's some really great stuff in there. Man, I would love to see that, but too bad awesome. you can't oh, be in the um, Facebook. I think I'll just leave that to me to say thank you very much, Doug and Ken, for coming into Sanzar tonight and giving us so much of your time and so many wonderful insights into into Star Trek and the world of visual effects and special effects. It's really been uh, mm-hmm. a treat to, to hear all this, all this wisdom. Yes, you are clapping. <laughs> no, really, everybody, thank you for coming. I had a great time. And, uh, and please have me back. And then, uh, you know what, maybe next time we'll actually go through the museum. My <laughs> <laughs> K's going to be even better next time you come back. I, I yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, no, I mean, our hands, yeah. Yeah, I, there's stuff that I'd love to, you know, I, I, the sculpture of Zephram Cochran uh, that was yeah. in Archer's Ready Room, um, I sculpted that myself. And I just did photo, a photogrammetric scan of it that came out really terrific. And w- we were talking about having it in the museum, but Ooh, having it wow. huge. <laughs> uh, but th- I, th- this, what's happening here is tremendous. It's amazing. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. And uh, these guys are going to add so much cool stuff to it. And hopefully I'll be able to, you know, uh, help them out with some stuff, too. Oh, cool. I got, you know, I'd I got like it. to. I got to say, for my part, I mean, this, like, literally what's happening here right this minute, this group of people being able to, you know, come and talk to you, come and talk to people like you, this was what I personally had always hoped for when we started talking about the Nexus. So I can't thank you enough. I think you might, with the exception of Rod, I think you might actually be our first, like, you know, guest, our first Trek luminary to come in. And uh, and really, you couldn't have been a couldn't have been a better person to launch it. Thank you very much. Oh, it's my yes, pleasure. My you. pleasure. Thank you so much, Doug and Ken, <laughs> and the whole Rondo team. It's really amazing. This is science fiction right here. Yeah, because you, yeah, you totally feel exactly. like you're in the same room as us. I feel yeah, like I'm with you guys. It's yeah, like that saying, yeah. science fiction yeah, is the future, the slightly ahead of schedule. movies about this. <laughs> and, and you know, honest to God, I'm thinking right now, I just remembered that I'm sitting in a little room at the Broadbury offices. I totally forgot that because yeah. I've been here with you guys. I feel like I'm in this large room. With I'm actually sitting in this little. It's if crazy. everybody will do me a favor, do what you can to wave because John is actually. We have one rig at the Roddenberry offices, and so John is sitting there next to Doug, but he's not here with John, us. Where so are everybody, you? Everybody I just, oh, John. you behind me. John. Thank you, everyone. Thanks a lot. Really. Yeah, thanks everybody for coming again. Thank you, Duggan. Thank you. Take care, guys. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.